would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. Turn to the book of John. If you love Jesus, say amen. amen. Oh, let's try that again. If you love Jesus, say amen. amen. If you love your Bible, say glory to, God. glory to God. I hope you love your Bible. Bible is very important. And by the way, the Bible is not just for adults and preachers and those who serve God with their life, but it's for every person in this room. You know, there's three things I want the Bible to do for me and to me as I read every day. Number one, I want it to convict me. Every time I open God's Word, I want to be convicted by what I read. I want God to speak to me. I want Him to show me things that I need to, need to adjust in my life, and I want to be convicted by it. By the way, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, which He came inside you when you got saved, you will be convicted when God points things out. And I want that. I want God to convict me when I read the Bible. But I also want God to challenge me. I want God to inspire me. I love verses like, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That challenges me. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I want to be challenged by God's word. And also I want to be changed. I want God's word to change me. And every day, you ought to take time to read the Bible with purpose. One thing that will help you do that is if you'll have a, a notebook and maybe and also a pen nearby your Bible, and when God speaks to you, jot those things down. I, I'm not against Bible reading charts. I think they can be very helpful. But sometimes, if we're not careful, our Bible reading becomes perfunctory. We're just going through a list. We're just going through the scriptures, but we're really not reading it to understand it. And God wrote a book for us to understand. God gave us the word of God so that we can be convicted, challenged, and even changed by the word of God, but we have to read it with purpose. We have to read it with the idea that I want God to speak to me. And, and I would just encourage you, it's not part of my message this morning, but I just want to encourage you to, to have a notebook and a pen nearby your Bible. And when God speaks to you, and, and, and read your Bible with that in mind, I want to be able to write something down that God said to me that will help me in my Christian life. And that would help you so much, and I hope you'll do that. John chapter 1, <coughs> we'll read a few verses here. John, of course, is the fourth book in our New Testament, and I'll begin reading in verse number one. If you would, follow along as I read. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse number six, I want you to read that with me if you would. Ready? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's my wife's life verse right there. In verse number seven, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then verse 12, read that with me if you would, please. But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share the word of God with these young people. And Father, I pray that you would please speak through me. I pray that you would, would remove any distraction that might hinder our listening, our understanding, or our response. I pray you'd use this time for your, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of John is the last of what we call the Gospels. And each book of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story about Jesus from a different perspective. Matthew depicts Jesus as king. The book of Mark depicts Jesus as servant. The book of Luke depicts Jesus as savior. And then the book of John depicts Jesus as God. The word gospel means the good news. It also could mean the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And by the way, the reason we're here is because of the gospel. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason we can be saved is because of the gospel. If there was no story in the Bible, if there was no story about Jesus coming and living and dying and being resurrected, then we would not know what salvation is. The reason we can have victory in the Christian life is because of the gospel. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is available to every Christian to live the victorious Christian life. None of us have to live a defeated life. None of us have to live our life in in bondage to sin and captivity of sin because we have the power, the same power that resurrected Christ is the same power that's available to every young person in this room today. It's a very powerful book. It's a book that's alive. And boy, we ought to love the Word of God. We ought to love the Bible. The book of John is a practical book that helps us live a life that is pleasing to God. If you're a new Christian and not very familiar with the Bible, the book of John is a great book to begin reading. In verses 1 and 2, we read those verses, we learn that Jesus is God. But then I want you to turn to verse 35, John chapter 1. In verse number 35, I'll begin reading, follow along as I read, verse 35. The Bible says, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, in looking upon Jesus as he walked, He saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and we're, we're reading here about Jesus uh, recruiting or, or asking men to follow him. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
And then I want you to notice in verse number 45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom, Je- of, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I read a lot of scripture this morning. And by the way, I appreciate the messages we heard last night. You know, it wasn't just Brother Clark speaking or Brother Polly speaking. It really was the word of God that spoke to us. And if you were challenged, if you were changed or convicted by what you heard last night, it wasn't, the, the, it wasn't man's word, it was God's word. The Bible needs to be part of our preaching and teaching. And, and what we want to do this morning is we want to look at God's word. I want to make three statements that Jesus makes about Daniel, about Nathaniel, excuse me, that could be made about every one of us. I'm going to use the word God. Of course, we know that Jesus is God. But I want to make three statements. I want you to listen carefully. And I'll be done in just a few moments. But I want you to notice, number one, in verse 47, the Bible says, Behold, and this is Jesus speaking, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And I want you to notice, number one, that God knows who you are. God knows who you are. The word guile means to be devious or deceitful or sly. It could mean someone who is a hypocrite, someone who is one thing on the outside, but there's something else on the inside. You know, it's easy to look the part of a Christian. And most of us, we've got it down pretty good. We know the the right dress, and we even sometimes know the right words. We know the right attitude. We know when to use that that spirit of, 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 of being what we're supposed to be when we're around our youth pastor, when we're around our, our, our parents, our pastor. But the truth is, God knows what you are, and he knows what I am on the inside. God knows who you are. And we can try hard to convince the world that, that we're not so bad, and we're, and we're pretty good. But we need to understand this morning that God knows who we are. The word no guile would, be, would mean to be honest and genuine, means to be the real deal. And and what God was saying about Nathaniel is that this is a man who is the real deal. This is a man who is honest. This is a man, and and by the way, they had never met. There's no evidence in Scripture that Jesus had ever met Nathaniel, but he, he describes him as being a man with no guile, no deception. What you see is what you get. Let me ask you a question, young person. Could that be said about you? Could that be said about me? I don't know about you, but I want, I want what's on the inside to be reflected 
on the outside, but I also want, want what's on the outside to be a reflection of what's on the inside. Judas Iscariot, we know him to be one of the 12 disciples who betrayed Christ. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, Have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he that should betray him. Judas was a disciple of Jesus Christ who betrayed him. And Jesus knew it. When he, when he brought the disciples together at the Last Supper, he told them there would be one who would betray me. And interesting that all the disciples said, is it I? Peter said, is, is it me? John said, Jesus, are you talking about me? They didn't even know that it was Judas. They didn't even know that it was one among us who was a deceiver, who would betray Christ, who would go down in history as being the one who led the, the, the soldiers to where Jesus was, who would take him away to be crucified. You know, it's a good question sometimes to ask ourselves, is it I? Is it I? Am I the one that is not right with the Lord? Am I the one who is a deceiver? Am I the one who has guile? Am I a sly, deceitful one? Or am I the real deal? Am I genuine? You know, there's some lessons we can learn about Judas that I think would be helpful. First of all, let me say this, is that being among good Christians doesn't make me one. You know, you think about Judas, he was among some of the greatest Christians in the world. Men who gave their life for Christ, many of them, most of them, matter of fact, were martyred for the cause of Christ. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. John was persecuted and boiled in, in oil, and then Judas killed himself. You know, I've heard this said, and, and I would say it myself. I, I think Pastor Wilkerson is a wonderful Christian. And I can prove it to you, right here and now. I can prove to you that Brother Wilkerson is a good Christian. Are you a good Christian? See? <laughs> I told him what to say. No. <laughs> Absolutely. But he is a good Christian. And I've heard that said many, many times. And you know, I like being around him because he rubs off on me. And he inspires me. But can I tell you this? Being around him doesn't make me a good Christian. Just being near him doesn't make me right in the sight of God. And I think you ought to hang around the right kind of people. And I think you ought to hang around with good Christians. And, 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 but, you know, being a Christian is something between you and the Lord. Pastor can't read the Bible for me. I've got to read the Bible for myself. He can't pray for me. I've got to pray for myself. He can't go soul winning for me. I've got to go soul winning for myself. He can't live a separated, pure, clean life for me. I've got to do that for myself. I think about Judas. I, I think, you know, Judas, you, you were around some of the greatest Christians that ever walked the earth. But that didn't make you a good Christian. Because Christianity and being a good Christian is between me and the Lord. Something else I learn about, about Judas is that not being sorry for my sin and coming to a place of repentance will lead me deeper into sin. You know, at any moment, Judas could have got right with the Lord. At any moment, he could have got saved. 
He was around Christ. He was around the man who could save him, but it was a, it was a process. Instead of getting right with the Lord, Judas went deeper and deeper in the sin. He first covenanted, he coveted the, the, the silver. And then later he made arrangements to, to bring the soldiers to where Jesus was. And, and at any time, that, that, that could have stopped, that could have ended. You know, when God brings conviction of sin into your life, the best thing you could do is find an altar somewhere, confess it, and repent of it. Because if we don't, the chances of us going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin are very great. And I don't want to make the mistake that Judas made and, and, and not being sorry and, and, and repenting of, of sin that God brings to my attention. I want to make it right. And I want to repent. And I want to turn from that. Thirdly, I notice about Judas's life is that I want to draw closer to God and be more obedient, not drift farther away. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And I want to ask you a question, young people. Which direction are you going? Are you getting closer to the Lord or are you getting further away? Because everybody in this room is going in one direction or the other. None of us are standing still. And every one of us in this room today, we're either drawing closer to the Lord every day and every week of our life, or we're getting further and further away. I've been in the bus ministry now for 40 years. I've served as a bus captain for 38 of those years, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again. I watch teenagers come, and they get saved, and they get excited. And they sing, and they, they read their Bibles, and they pray, and they're involved, and they go to the activities, and they go to camp, and they go to youth conferences, and, and they make decisions. But it seems like the older they get, they seem to drift away. So often, teenagers will stop coming to church and then find out that they've fallen into some deep sin because instead of drawing closer to God, they got further away. Let me ask you a question Young people, which direction are you going? Are you getting closer to the Lord? Or are you getting further away? I hope this youth conference will draw you closer to God. I hope the preaching will draw you closer to the Lord. I hope that the word of God will draw you closer to him. What is most important in our life is not what people think we are, it's what God knows we are. And not only does God know who we are, but we know who he is. Not only does Jesus know everything about you, and he knows who, what kind of person you are, we know who God is. God is love. God is mercy. God is a present help in time of need. And God will never leave us. He'll never leave us. James, I'm going to ask you to come up here real quick. How many of you are saved and you remember the day you trusted Christ as your Savior? Would you raise your hand? What a great day that was. Amen. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came inside you. I'm asking you to stand behind me and stay, just stay there behind me. The Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. Which means when I'm right with God and I'm reading my Bible, man, he's right there. Stay closer. He's right here. I'm praying and going soul winning and I'm going to church and boy, there he is. Holy Spirit's right here. I know he's right there. He's right behind me. 
But you know, sometimes in my life, I've gotten away from the Bible. I've gotten away from God. I've gotten away from church. I've gotten away from soul winning. I've gotten away from doing what I ought to do. And I've not, I've not been right with the Lord like I should be. And I feel as far from Scripture and the Word of God and the Lord that I've ever been. But young people don't miss this. He's still there. He's still there. And no matter how far you get from God, he's always right here. You may not feel like he is because you've drifted so far away. But young people know this, that God is right there. And he'll always be with you. He might be a little slow because James is a little slow. <laughs> but he'll always be there. Thank you, James. I said, number one, God knows who you are. And quickly, I'll say this, God knows where you are. He says in verse number 48, he says, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Don't miss this, beholding the evil and the good. And sometimes we emphasize the evil. And he does. There's no doubt God sees when you do wrong. He, he sees it when you sin. But can I say this? God also sees when you do right. He knows when, when you do the right thing. He sees you when, when you're reading your Bible. And nobody knows it, but God does. God knows. And when you spend time in prayer and you're thinking, you know what, nobody sees me. Nobody knows I'm in my room and I'm praying. But let me tell you something God sees. God knows. When you take a stand to do right and you, and you stand up to your friends and you resist temptation and, and you think, well, nobody knows I resisted and nobody knows I took a stand. Let me tell you something. God knows. God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly where you are. He knows <clears throat> where you are emotionally. Some of you, you're very insecure. God knows that. Some of you feel very inadequate. You're among all these teenagers and you've looked around and you've kind of scoped everyone out and you kind of figured out who's, who's better than you and, and, and who you're, you think you're better than. And, and some of you feel very inadequate. Can I tell you something? God knows. God knows. Some of you don't feel like you fit in. You don't feel like you fit in this, this group of people. Let me, let me tell you, that feeling that, that you have about that, God knows. He knows exactly where you are. Some of you come from a home where your circumstances are less than, than stellar. Your, your circumstances are not what you wish they were. You don't have a Christian mom and dad. Maybe you're a bus rider. And you, you, you go to church, but you go alone or you're with your siblings, but not with your parents. God knows exactly where you are. Some of you are struggling with depression. And perhaps thoughts of taking your own life. Can I tell you something? God knows exactly where you are. And let me tell you something. God loves you and God cares about you. And God wants what's best for you. Jesus has the answer. God knows your battle with sin. God knows your battle with sin. He knows the difficulty you have with resisting. God knows that. God has the answer, and the Bible can help us, and, 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 and good godly counselors can help us through those things. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows if you're saved. If you tell me you're saved, I'll believe you. 
And I would, I would think most of you are saved. And if you raise your hand, if I ask you if you're saved, I, I'd say I, I, I would agree and I'd believe you. But let me tell you something. Only God knows if you're really saved. God knows where you are spiritually. He knows if you're separated. He knows if you're surrendered. God knows who you are. God knows where you are. And then I want to close with this. God knows your potential. In verse number 50 in chapter 1, he said, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. First Timothy 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Let no man despise thy youth. God knows, listen to me, young people, I'm almost done. God knows that you can have a huge impact on eternity. Don't underestimate God wanting to use you. Don't underestimate the influence and the impact and, 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 and the part that you can have for eternity. Everyone in this room can make a difference for God. I don't know about you, but when I think about the world, and I think about the, the numbers of people, the Bible says that the, that the road is broad, it's wide, and many are on that road that lead to destruction. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want your mom and dad to go to hell. I don't want my neighbors to go to hell. I don't want our city to go to hell. I don't want our world to go to hell. When I think about the young people in this room, there's so much potential where we could turn the world upside down for God. And we can have an impact on eternity. God knows the potential that you have for good and for God. And God wants to use you. But let me say this, not only does God know your potential, the devil knows too. The devil knows that you have great potential for God. You say, I have nothing to offer. I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. I, 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 there's nothing I have. Let me tell you something. God, he doesn't care about any of that. He just wants you. He just wants you just the way you are. He loves you the way you are. He can use you the way you are. And God just wants you. But the devil also knows the potential you have for God. And boy, don't be surprised that, that there's going to be challenges and there's going to be obstacles. And there's going to be storms. And there's going to be things that come into our life that try to distract us and, and get us off course and, and get us off that path that's going to lead someone to, the, to Christ or lead us to, to serve God with our, with our future. Anything to distract you to make something else more appealing like making money. Boy, what a temptation. Boy, it'd be, it'd be nice to have a, a nicer home or a nicer car or nicer things. Let me tell you something. All of that will burn someday. And the only thing that really will matter when we see Christ is what we did for him. I've known many gifted, talented young people with the call of God in their life, but they got distracted by the devil. I'm thinking about a young man who, who grew up in our church. He rode our buses from Chicago. And boy, he was talented. I've talked to 
people who knew him well, and they said, Brother John, this, this young man had, had a great future for God. He was, he was a gifted speaker. He was a sharp young man who could do just about anything. He told me, I asked him the other day, I said, I said tell, me, tell me your story. He said, Brother John, he said, when I was about 13, 14 years old, God called me to preach. He said, but then life happened. I'll tell you what happened. The devil came into his life. And the devil got him off course. And for about 25 years, he was not serving God like he, like he should. Thankfully, he got back in church. And thankfully, now he's, he's, he's making up for lost time. But he's got regrets. He wishes that when he was a young person, he stayed with it. He wishes when he was young, he just stayed focused and lived for God. I remember, as Pastor mentioned, 40 years ago, I was in that auditorium over there. I was 17 years old. I felt as inadequate and incapable as anybody in this room. Remember, the invitation came, and God was speaking to my heart, but I didn't move. I didn't move. Teenagers were coming from the balcony. They were coming from the main floor. They were filling the altar, and I just sat, but I knew God was calling me to preach. And after several moments, I finally said, you know what, Lord? It's not what I want. It's what you want. And I left my seat, and I came forward, and I stood at this altar. And I said, God, if you'll use me, if you'll help me, and I needed a lot of help, and I'll surrender my life to serve you. That year, I went to Hiles Anderson College. Did you hear that? Hiles Anderson College. It's like music to my ears. And what a great decision to go to Hiles Anderson College and to begin my training. You know, I... It wasn't a few years after that I became a bus captain. And boy, I loved my bus route. And I wanted the people on my bus route to be saved, and I wanted to come to church, and I wanted the God to work in their life. And I remember one Saturday I was knocking on a door, and just routine every Saturday, just visiting people. I met a young teenage boy. He had not been to church in quite a while. He came when he was younger, but had stopped coming to church. He was interested in other things. And I remember inviting him to come and, and maybe even arguing with him a little bit, but he finally agreed to come and he came to church and that began a journey where his life began to change. I remember bringing him to youth conference and him coming to me after the conference and said, Brother John, he said, I know God's called me to preach, but God's called me to go to Honduras and be a missionary. Serve God with my life. He just happens to be here this week. I, I wasn't planning on using this as an illustration, but ran into him yesterday. Now, I'd like for you to come and just stand up here real quick. Osmond Gutierrez, for the last 20 years, him and his wife, Eva, Eva's on this front row, who's also a bus rider from Chicago. But for the last 20 years, has been serving and the Goosey Galpa Honduras, winning people to Christ, building a church, changing lives, making a difference. I've been there. I've been there a couple of times in wonderful place. And you know, I'm so proud of Osmond, and I'm so glad. Let me tell you something, young people. I have no regrets 
when I stood in that auditorium and I surrendered my life to serve God. Because what I surrendered to is I wanted to make a difference for, the, for eternity. Jesus made the difference in his life. And he'll tell you that. But you know, I can't help but be a little proud or a little glad, at least, that I had, I had a small part. Not a, not a big part, but I had a little part in helping him get to where he is. You know, young people, I'm done. Can I say this? The reason you're here today is because somebody had a part in your life. You didn't get here by yourself. You got here because somebody loved you and somebody cared for you and somebody prayed for you. If, you wrote, if you're a bus rider, somebody knocked on your door and brought you to church. Somebody drove the bus and taught Sunday school. You're here because of somebody. Could I challenge you this morning to, to make a decision that would say somebody made a difference in my life? I want to make a difference in somebody else's life. Somebody helped me. I want to help somebody else. I want to be somebody for somebody. And I would challenge you this morning to make a decision to say, I want to be somebody for somebody. That I want to have a small part in making a difference for eternity. And with God's help, that can be done. Jesus knows who you are. He knows where you are. And he also knows that you have great potential for the Lord. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Thank you. The invitation is very simple. I wonder how many of you with your head bowed and eyes closed would say, if God would help me, I want to be somebody for somebody. Somebody was somebody for me. I'm here because of people who helped and prayed and loved me, but I, I want to be somebody for somebody else. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder how many of you would say, pray for me. That is my prayer this morning, that God would help me to be somebody for somebody. Would you raise your hand? You mean that? Would you stand? Would you stand? I want to be somebody for somebody. I want somebody to be saved because I showed them the gospel. I want somebody to come to church because I invited them. I want somebody to be discipled and to be changed and to be trained because I had a part in their life. Let's pray and ask God to help us to be somebody for somebody. Father, thank you for the young people that are here today. Thank you for their humility and their sensitivity. And I pray that You'd help every one of us to be challenged by the idea and the thought that we could be somebody to help somebody. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.